The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And today we're going to put Michael Jackson on my couch, his tragic life and death. And we're going to look at just who this man was taking off the veil or, uh, or surgical mask of secrecy and looking into who he was, what caused his death, and what's going to happen next. Of course, everyone knows that Michael Jackson was an incredibly, incredibly talented performer. Um, he was also a philanthropist, and he also sincerely cared about making children around the world happy and, and um, gave a lot of, of time and money to, to different causes um, to help the children. But Michael had a dark side, and as much as there are all kinds of um, activities going on all over the world to celebrate his life, as is um, appropriate, we also can't totally whitewash this story um, to and not take into account some of the darker parts of his life as well. Um, before getting into any of that, let me just um, go over uh, in brief my involvement with Michael Jackson. Um, I It began in the early 90s when I was asked to be a psychiatric consultant to the classic, autobi- not autobiography, the classic biography that was being written at the time by J. Randy Taraborelli called Michael Jackson, The, the Magic and the Madness. And um, as the psychiatric consultant to this book, what I uh, did was to review the information that uh, Randy Taraborelli had collected, particularly in regard to Michael's childhood and what made him the man that he was. Um, and there were all kinds of uh, tragic and, and uh, disturbing elements to his childhood that, of course, as his life unfolded um, and his death, we can see the significance, as with anyone's uh, life and death, not just celebrities, but really, the things that happen to us when we are children, you know, especially the first 18 years of our lives, and, and the younger, the more impressionable, um, these, these events, uh, particularly the traumas that occur to us during these years, really do affect us for the rest of our lives. They leave scars. Our, our mind is like a video camera 
that takes pictures and hears sounds of all the things that go on. So all of the hurtful comments that um, people make, or particularly in regard to our parents. So looking at Michael, uh, some of the things that shaped his childhood so definitively and his death, um, and I'll make the connection for you in case uh, as we go along today, um, some of these connections included his father um, being incredibly emotionally and physically abusive to him, hitting him with different objects, um, if, especially if he made mistakes. You know, as the father realized that in order to see his dream come true of his uh, children creating a successful musical act, something that he had wanted to be a successful musician, but... Um, didn't have sufficient talent to do that. He wanted to live vicariously through his children and especially through Michael because he saw from early on, from the time Michael was about five years old, he was clearly the star uh, of the family and of of the act and and um, certainly he went on to be an incredible star and, and his father realized that. And I'm not going to say that there weren't any... Um, wishes for Michael to be successful or that his parents um, hated him 100% or were just using him, exploiting him 100%, and certainly his mother not as much as his father. But that Michael soon represented his father's opportunity to have the money and the fame and the hobnobbing with celebrities that he wanted for himself originally. And so... Um, so this this was a theme that has been carried through his whole life where his family would often try to get Michael to do things, um, perform, when Michael didn't want to, couldn't, didn't feel up to it, especially in the later years, and especially in regard to the 50 concerts that he had signed up to do uh, in London, starting starting on July 13th. So starting um, approximately three weeks from when he died. And, you know, how much of this was something that Michael really wanted to do and how much of this was people pressuring him, his family, the concert promoters, various people he owed money to, um, you know, the hangers-on who, as he got less and less in control of his faculties because of uh, an increasing dependence upon various drugs, he was more vulnerable to these hangers-on who took more and more control of his life, from the nanny, who's very questionable, to uh, the doctor who was with him when he died, um, Dr. Conrad Murray, to various people in his, to Dr. Tomei Tomei, who became his spokesman um, a few years back, beginning a few years back, and who uh, is reported to have ties to the Nation of Islam. I mean, he he gathered around him um, inadvertently um, a a group of people who would kowtow to his demands, um, but who were really questionable and who had, ironically, who had the same desire to exploit him as his father did. And even though it wasn't really... Um, even though it was more his father who certainly who was abusive and, and who was um, exploitative, 
Michael's mother um, didn't protect him from his father. So although she was, you know, he was closer to her and she was considered the better parent, still, um, she really isn't without blame in all of this either, as we'll see as we go along. Um, so as I was looking through the family history, you know, as a consultant to the biography, um, one of the other things that I saw that really was it was clear later um, made a tremendous contribution in a negative way to his life was uh, how when he was young, starting at around five, and he would go with his family to different venues to perform where they had to stay in hotels, um, this was before they got famous, but when they were doing small, you know, they started out doing small venues, um, Michael's father and his brothers would bring women into the room and they would have sex with them. And Michael, little little Michael, would be there in the room and would be very confused and frightened by the noises and the, the sights and the sounds of what he um, was experiencing in that room. It was made particularly bad because of uh, his having to withhold this information from his mother, who was very religious and who, of course, would have been upset on many levels to find out what was going on. So Michael really didn't have anyone to talk to about this since he wasn't allowed to talk to his mother about it. And um, and all of this, you know, contributed to uh, his later saying that when he was approached, the first woman who approached him in a sexual manner caused him to be scared to death. And because he associated sex with fear, with uh, something violent, you know, that's that's what happens actually with with children in general, little children, if they walk in, for example, on uh, their parents or on two people having sex, um, what's called the primal scene, they misinterpret it. They're, they don't know how to put it in any kind of context, and it can be very traumatic to a child, as it was particularly with Michael because of the circumstances. And so this, these experiences, um, which is a form of sexual abuse, so not only was he emotionally abused and physically abused, but this is a kind of sexual abuse as well, uh, this is what caused him to stay in this stunted pattern of growth, the Peter Pan-like um, lifestyle he had for himself, and what caused him to be, uh, to have sexual uh, relationships, sexual, um, intimate sexual encounters with little boys. Now, when when um, nor- normal little boys, it's not Michael Jackson, um, are pre-adolescent, uh, pre-puberty, they um, can have different experiences. It's not with. It's not outside the normal range to have, um, before puberty, to have experiences, same-sex experiences, uh, experimenting. But this is, you know, sort of limited and, and doesn't become a way of life. But with Michael, because sex um, between two adults became was something that was clearly frightening to him, he never wanted to experience that because it just seemed like something that was violent and confusing and so on. Now, you know, at the beginning, when um, in the early 90s, when Michael was accused by Jordan Chandler um, of 
having inappropriate sexual relations with him. Certainly, if one was trying to be generous and tried to say that before then, this was sort of innocent. Michael was just stuck at this prepubescent level, and so his play with little boys was just um, was just experimentation. But at the very, very latest, and I think this is being overly generous, certainly when um, the public became aware of the accusations made by Jordan Chandler in 1993, someone or one, someone's close to Michael would have clearly explained to him that this is not appropriate and this is not something that can go on. And um, and yet it did go on. And um, there, there have been many instances of Michael being accused of... Um, of sexual improprieties, and Michael himself, in the documentary, which I'll get to, also admitted that he was uh, didn't see anything wrong with sleeping with little children and showing his love, which I'm sure made pedophiles all over the world happy that he didn't think that there was anything wrong with that. Well, when we come back, we'll continue sort of chronologically through Michael's life, um, and uh, and to the tragic ending of his death, which, as you'll see, is connected to all of these things that I've just uh, begun talking about because, because really these were scars and traumas that he was never able to escape. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. We're talking today about Michael Jackson putting him on the couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. 
host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired all the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, putting Michael Jackson on the couch today, looking at his tragic life and death. I'm not sugarcoating it. This is not a tribute per se to Michael Jackson, although, of course, um, I would certainly agree that he had incredible talents. But he was also a man in a lot of pain, and that pain... Um, psychological more than physical, although in his later years he began having some physical pains as well. But his psychological pains, the demons that haunted him from his childhood, were far more painful and contributed, as we will see, to his death. Um, I was telling about my connection to Michael Jackson, about the biography, first of all, and then over the years I would be interviewed about him. Whenever he would do anything that made the news, uh, I would be interviewed. And then in the late 90s, we, he, um, I always say he got his children. Uh, to this day, there's still a mystery, and that's going to be the next, uh, the next uh, <laughs> it's going to be worse than Anna Nicole Smith in terms of trying to figure out who are the biological parents of each of these children. Um, he has three children, Prince Michael, who's 12, Paris, who's 11, and Prince Michael II, who's 7. So in the in the late 90s, when Michael got Paris and Prince, um, I started being concerned about whether or not he was a fit father to these children, and I didn't really think that he was. And um, whenever I would do interviews, I would often say, somebody should do something to take away his children because he's really not a fit father. And the people who were there taping the interviews would agree. And then finally, um, in 2002, when there was the baby dangling incident, the infamous baby dangling incident, um, and I was doing interviews, I said the same thing, and everybody again agreed, yes, somebody should take away his children. And as I was walking away, I started thinking, well, who am I expecting to take away his children? The mayor of Los Angeles? I, I mean, who? And as a psychiatrist in California, I am a mandated reporter, meaning that I am legally bound to report suspected cases of child abuse, as are nurses, for example, or uh, teachers, um, various people who are involved with children. 
And so I wrote a letter on November 21st, 2002, to Randall Hudson at the Santa Barbara Department of Child and Family Services. And I complained, made a complaint about Michael Jackson and his um, generally uh, being unfit and reasons to suspect child abuse. And I was talking uh, more primarily at this point of uh, um, psychological or emotional abuse. And essentially, after I sent this, this letter um, <laughs> and followed up, nothing really was happening. You know, they gave me excuses like, well, he has a big gate in the front of his property. We really can't get in. Or, Michael's children don't go to school, so we really can't interview his children. Well, it was clear that Michael's celebrity status uh, was making him someone who was untouchable, who they didn't really want to get involved with, um, you know, to, to rock the boat with. So soon after that, in February, early February of 2003, the documentary Living with Michael Jackson was, was aired. And in that documentary, there were numerous reasons to be even more concerned about his not being a fit father. So on February 11th, 2003, I wrote a much more extensive report, and I listed 18 reasons why his children should be taken away until he received psychiatric treatment that um, allowed him to become a better parent and um, not have his children still be in danger. And I called a press conference in front of the Los Angeles Division of Child Protective Services, and I read and then handed in this list of 18 reasons. And amongst these reasons, um, oh, one had to do with, I'll just read sort of the headings of it, one had to do with his having said, I am Peter Pan, um, another had to do with Bubbles the Chimp, who was now living in an animal sanctuary, and if he couldn't take care of Bubbles, how could he take care, take care of his children? Um, his own history of being abused, his psychosexual development being stunted, stunted at the level of a pre-adolescent boy, um, his forcing his children to wear masks, and how this causes the children to feel as though he's ashamed of them, uh, Michael would talk about how his father teased him mercilessly about his appearance when he was growing up, including his pimples and his nose. And Michael said, you want to die, I would have been happier wearing a mask. And then, lo and behold, he um, had plastic surgeries on his nose and causes his children to wear masks. Um, even though Michael explained it as supposedly trying to protect them, they would have experienced this as his having been ashamed of them, just as his father was, of Michael. Then there were issues having to do with Harris's birth, um, in which even though she was uh, in a, a sort of um, fragile state because she had come out the wrong way and choked by an umbilical cord, he, quote, snatched her, unquote, along with her placenta and took her out of the hospital. Uh, there was, in the documentary, there was a, a scene where he pawned his daughter off on an employee, and he would say, pull, pull, that's all she does. Then um, his, he called his 
third child, Prince Michael II blanket, which uh, I, I believed and believe was essentially his um, symbolic of his thinking of his children as security blankets. Um, then in regard to the mother of Prince Michael II, at first he said he'd had a relationship with her, and then he said, she doesn't know me. And so I suggested that this be... Um, that this be investigated. Then uh, I talked about, you know, that the the motherhood of his children should be investigated also as well to see um, who who actually uh, uh, they were. And to, and to this day, they're now, which is really interesting how uh, now, of course, this is becoming more of an issue as uh, we're going to have to see who will become the who will be taking care of his three children. Um, then, let's see, in the documentary, some, it, it uh, describes that some of his family members said that um, he, was in, he was described as having a manic quality in the documentary. And um, some of the family members had, had, a, had already said before the documentary, that Michael was abusing drugs. And certainly in the documentary, there were various scenes that, that where he did seem to be having, uh, being ab- abusing drugs. Then particu- an example of this is his uh, chilling behavior with the baby, Prince Michael II, when he was trying to feed him and his legs were shaking up and down and he was almost, uh, you know, he was saying quite forcefully towards the baby, bite it, I love you, bite it. Then also I talked about uh, his having, in the documentary, been shown where he was cowering below the stage when he um, went on the stage of the Berlin Bambi Awards. He went on too early. He realized he had made a mistake, and he started to cower. And what that was was his regressing to being a little boy um, who was beaten when he would make mistakes by his father. And then, of course, the significant... um, most significant was um, his his involvement with a 13 year old boy who turned out to be Gavin, and um, he he Gavin was leaning on Mr. Jackson. I'm reading from my uh, report, looking up at him like a lovesick puppy and holding hands with him all in front of the cameras. Gavin acknowledged having slept in Mr. Jackson's bed and reported that Michael said, "If you love me, you'll sleep in the bed." This is classic language that child molesters use, and it's eerily similar to the language that Jordan Chandler uh, said in his declaration that Michael Jackson used. So, and I went on, and I I essentially um, uh, went on about Gavin and said that um, it was clearly, there was something clearly inappropriate going on in the relationship between Michael and Gavin, something sexually inappropriate. And um, oh, uh, and then there were 18 reasons. But what's most significant is that because of my having mentioned Gavin, what then happened is that Child Protective Services interviewed Gavin. And although he originally denied that he was abused, as children who were are abused often do, uh, it, he ultimately admitted it, and then that led to Michael Jackson's trial. And, of course, that was... Uh, another turning point in the downfall of Michael Jackson, because even though he was found not guilty, uh, 
he his popularity after that continued to go downhill, and um, which was another reason that he probably would have had the fantasy of wanting to restore. Uh, his fan base and restore his popularity and, and to get the applause again because because who doesn't want applause? But unfortunately, um, the this was just you know another instance, another example of how uh, these demons from Michael Jackson's childhood continued to plague him and caused him to engage in these self-destructive acts from the molestations to the abuse of drugs to his, what I'm going to explain to you as his ultimate uh, self-defeating, self-destructive act in his death. So we'll talk more about that when we come back. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, and you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. What can you tell me about SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have teamwork, your resume is going to look awesome. Well, it's important to know your technical skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning how to communicate with people. On the web at SkillsUSA.org. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy Easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guests, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, 
If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about Michael Jackson putting him on the couch, his tragic life and death. Uh, I must say that even given all this background so far, um, or perhaps uh, because of this background so far, I felt really sad when I heard uh, that he had died because, you know, regardless of what he, his dark side and so on, um, what I really felt sad about was that if someone would have intervened early on uh, by putting him in psychiatric treatment very early on, I mean, ideally when he was five, but certainly um, when he be started to become a star, that's when he should have, uh, somebody should have realized that it would be important to get rid of his demons then. Um, and I, I was looking back at this uh, complaint that I was talking to you about, uh, and I, I the at the end of my complaint, at the end of the 18 reasons why um, his children should be taken away until he gets therapy, I, I talked about um, Michael's suicidal impulses. And um, I, I'll read this to you because it's really prescient. It's, 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 um, it, it really foretold of what ultimately happened. So I wrote in the documentary, Mr. Jackson said, quote, if there were no children on this earth, if somebody announced that all kids are dead, I would jump off the balcony immediately. I'm done, unquote. And I said, this is an unconscious warning or manifestation of his underlying suicidal impulses. When he dangled his baby from the balcony, I stated then that he was identifying with and using the child to symbolically demonstrate his feelings of being on the edge himself. It was a cry for help. Therefore, it would behoove you to be sure that Mr. Jackson is hospitalized in a psychiatric hospital before removing his children from his custody, um, and so on. And then I said, it is clear that Mr. Jackson needs intensive and long-term psychiatric treatment with a psychiatrist. This would consist of psychotherapy to help him cope with buried traumatic memories from his childhood, such that he could mature into a man who is capable of being a good father. It is likely that he would also need psychiatric medication. If he is abusing drugs, prescription or otherwise, he may need to be detoxed and rehabilitated as well. And then I asked for them to take action. Um, now let me t- talk about his death and why, um, why I do say that it was his final self-destructive act. I mean... It, it has been known, even though I, I sort of uh, gave him the benefit of the doubt in the complaint and said if he's addicted, it was it was known as at least as far back as the early 90s that he he was becoming addicted to pain medications and also to anti-anxiety medications, and at that point, uh, around the time that he was being accused of molestation by Jordan Chandler. He did um, go into a rehab facility for a few months, it has been reported. But um, that was the early 90s, and clearly his addiction got worse uh, till the end, worse and worse. I mean, that's what happens with people in addictions. They build up a tolerance to whatever it is that they're addicted to, and they wind up taking more and more, and that's how sometimes inadvertent 
deaths can happen because people overdose, and sometimes it's on purpose. I mean, they're consciously doing it, and sometimes it's totally, well, <laughs> I don't believe totally, but because unconsciously there may well be a self-destructive act uh, wish underneath. But at some point it becomes rather confusing whether the person was purposely setting about to kill themselves or whether they were just taking so many drugs that they uh, sort of lost touch with reality and forgot how much they had taken and so on. So that's the, for me, that's the question with Michael Jackson. How much of this, um, how much of his death was caused by this sort of continuing to take more and more of whatever it was that he was taking, painkillers and so on? Um, we won't know for several weeks. But was it just that he was trying to escape more into these drugs, escape from his reality? Because what I think was happening was that he, as he was rehearsing for his 50 concert tour, he realized that there was no way that he would have the stamina or the ability to make all those 50 concerts in a way that wouldn't disappoint his fans. I mean, he was just not physically up to it. And I don't care what... Uh, there, there are mixed reports in the media. Some of the people are saying he was in great shape, you know, but, but I think it's pretty clear he weighed about 100, 112 pounds. The reports come in around that when he died. And that was not great shape. Um, and so I think that he realized, not just his weight, but then there were people who were saying he wasn't eating, you know, and, and in fact, when he died, he was only found to have pills in his stomach, no food. Um, you know, clearly there is evidence that he was in bad shape, and I think he he realized that he was not going to be able to go on stage and present, um, even with all the smoke and mirrors that the concert uh, organizers were providing, I think he realized that he was just going to be a disappointment, that he was going to be a shadow of his former self. And he couldn't face this. He couldn't face what the media might say about him or how disappointed his fans are uh, or even just how disappointed he would be in himself. And so I think that there's a gray area here um, that we may never know, but how much of this what happened, presuming that, that it did relate to that his cardiac arrest, it was not a heart attack, it was a cardiac arrest. In other words, it wasn't due to um, atherosclerosis or any kind of heart disease. It was a cardiac arrest, meaning that something stopped his heart and something like painkillers or other drugs could well have done that, uh, as could his having an imbalance of electrolytes because of not eating and just taking these drugs. But um, so th- this gray area exists in in between, you know, how much of this was an accident and how much of this was on purpose, consciously on purpose, and what, what about the in-between, as I was talking about before, where he was just taking more and more to escape from the pain of, of what was going to happen in his London concert, concerts, um, ironically named This Is It, <laughs> and it certainly was, um, how much was, was conscious, how much was unconscious, and how much was in between with his mind sort of clouded as he took more and more of these drugs. And, um, you know, you, you, there, there are signs that he had somewhat of a premonition or, again, you know, how much of this was purposeful. He apparently contacted his attorney, the attorney who had drawn up his will in 2002, which is the last will that so far has been uh, reported, 
and he contacted his, his attorney uh, one to three weeks ago who had made the will and employed him again. I mean, obviously, again, this doesn't mean that Michael killed himself. I'm not saying definitively that he committed suicide, knew he was going to, and therefore he contacted his, his attorney, but he may well have been seeing the end coming himself, that he knew that um, he couldn't keep existing on not eating and, and taking drugs. And, and you have to, you know, how much was his not eating a suicidal uh, suicide attempt? It was a slow death. Um, of course, then, then further, you will have to wonder, did he ask this Dr. Conrad Murray to help him um, commit suicide, a kind of euthanasia. I mean, Dr. Murray is, um, is a rather shadowy figure, to say the least. Um, that's a whole other story. Um, you know, he he's supposedly was with Michael Jackson for three years, and uh, Michael insisted that he go with him, that Dr. Murray go with him, to the concerts, he he insisted that the concert organizers pay, and I've read that it was three hundred thousand dollars to Dr. Murray for having Dr. Murray accompany him on this trip, and um, so so you know just how much was Dr. Murray involved with Michael, and and you know to what extent, and what did he promise him, or did he feel sympathetic and want to put him out of his pain on his own accord, um, not euthanasia, but Dr. Murray's own idea. And here's a nefarious plot. What if this was murder of a sort? Um, I know the police have said that they've ruled out foul play, but they can't totally rule it out until they get back the toxicology reports. Um, but just throwing it out there is something part of the mix that one has to consider. Um, Michael Jackson was worth more to his family and to these concert promoters if he would have flopped and people would have asked for their money back. Um, he was worth more to them dead. So, you know, after the 2005 trial, there was a, an album. Michael's albums since then have really been doing incredibly, incredibly poorly. And what happened now that he died, everything is, is, uh, is super hot. Anything related to Michael Jackson is um, is super hot, and uh, his his albums and and posters and whatever there is that's Michael Jackson is all of a sudden being sold at a premium. So could there be some nefarious, dirty, dark deed uh, at at play? Obviously, these are things that have to be looked into. Um, in regard to his will. So far, again, we don't know. The will has not yet been published, at least <laughs> at least at the time that, that we began the show today. Um, things start, have been starting to leak out, but it hasn't been handed in yet to the courts. But so far, the reports say that he has left his father with nothing, which I think is more than his father deserves. <laughs> no, but I, I'm being sarcastic. I mean, his father does deserve nothing uh, for the pain that he inflicted on Michael all his life. And he set his 79-year-old mother up as the guardian of his children. At least that, those were his wishes. You can't really, children aren't property, so you can't give them to somebody, but it was his wish that his mother take care of them. We'll be back with more. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips with his weekly guests jim draws from successes with professionals college high school and youth teams coaches and players learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure tension and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with championship thinking every tuesday at 4 p.m pacific time right here on america's voice voice america son we gotta talk about drinking i know I don't want you touching alcohol till you're old enough. Yeah, I, I know, Dad. It's not a big deal. Don't yeah, I know me, okay? And it is a big deal. Underage drinking is just stupid. Yeah, well, why'd you do it? Look, I did it because we didn't know what we know now. Alcohol affects kids differently, okay? When kids drink, it's more dangerous. And you're my kid. And just because they drink doesn't mean you have to. I, I know. I know. Look, son, I'm trying to help. I've seen what it does. I mean, you may think you can handle it, but when you drink, it screws up your judgment. Listen to me. This is real. I, I know, okay? I know. Teenagers know everything. So talk about underage drinking before they know it all. Before they're teens. Start talking before they start drinking. And keep talking. To learn more about the dangers of underage drinking and what to say to your kids, go to StopAlcoholAbuse.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, putting Michael Jackson on the couch today and looking at his life, the tragic life and, and tragic death of Michael Jackson, not uh, celebrating his music, although certainly um, giving credit to his being an incredible, incredible talent and a philanthropist. This is not to put him down, but it's to examine the dark side um, to understand the tragedy of his death. 
now that he's dead, it's like shining a light on his life, and all the cockroaches are scattering. In other words, all the people close to him, his family, these uh, questionable doctors, uh, the nannies, and so on, are scattering. Nobody wants to take responsibility for how they contributed to Michael Jackson's death. And I mean from his parents and the traumas that they put him through, the abuse and so on, um, all the way up to his doctors who um, were, <laughs> were incompetent at best. Um, we have Dr. Conrad Murray. I started talking about him. His, his lawyer is doing him in even worse than Dr. Murray is doing himself in. Um, his lawyer keeps making these statements denying that Dr. Murray prescribed or gave Michael Demerol or OxyContin or, or other painkillers um, and, and has made other statements. I, I think probably he's making a lot of mistakes because because he hasn't, no one has told him about uh, enough of what he needs to know about medicine to to make these um, wrong wrong statements that may well come back to haunt his client. Um, but Dr. Murray, not only you know, after he discovered Michael, um, as the story goes, I'm not sure that I believe that, but anyhow, once he discovered Michael being almost dead, he didn't right away call, have someone, you know, scream out for someone in the house to call 911. Apparently, he spent around a half an hour, and again, different reports give different times, but it's about a half an hour, um, before he called to someone to uh, call 911. In the meantime, he did CPR on the bed, um, and he's a cardiologist who should have known that he should have put Michael on a flat surface, the floor, or put something under the bed, um, and he said he used his hand. I mean, I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's like the Three Stooges trying to do CPR. It, it's just absurd, unless, again, there was some nefarious plot afoot. Um, then there's this Dr. Tomei Tomei, who was the representative of Michael for some years, um, whose, I don't know, whose who's, uh, credentials as a doctor are in question, and he's said to be connected to the Nation of Islam, who's funded Michael uh, in his later years, at least up until some point, or uh, that's sort of vague. I'm not sure how long, whether they were still funding him or not at his death. But, you know, as he was going through his money, he became dependent upon people like that uh, to do favors for him. And, of course, they wanted to be close to him, and they wanted to make money off him and exploit him. And one of the final uh, exploitations that are go that's going on now is that there's going to be, apparently, it was announced, there's going to be a public viewing of Michael's body at Neverland on Friday. The family is having a private service on Sunday, but this Friday... At Neverland, um, you you too. I, I'm, I'll be surprised if they don't sell tickets. Um, there's going to be a view, viewing of his body. I mean, that is just sick to me. Um, Michael was not in the greatest of shape. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess they're going to have great makeup artists and so on, people who do that after people die. But um, it's quite frankly, it seems like a blatant attempt to turn Neverland into Graceland, to capitalize on whatever uh, fan attention, public attention they can capitalize on now in his death. Um, they purposely, you know, they, they dragged out 
this burial or, well, we're not even talking about a burial yet. Um, I don't know when that's going to be, but they're, at least not before Friday. Um, and, and they're dragging this out to get as much publicity as they can. Uh, Michael's father has been hawking his record company. Apparently when he was on the red carpet for the BET, uh, BET um, awards, um, he started talking, he, he gave a, a a bit of a reference to Michael and they're grieving over him and then started talking about his record company. I mean, these things, I'm not making this up, folks. Just look on the, look on the internet. It's, it's, um, and then his mother, Michael's mother was out shopping, um, at Target to supposedly to buy, uh, uh, sleeping bags and toys for his kids. I mean, just the idea of a mother being going out shopping to buy anything after, uh, you know, unless it was something, well, she has people who would have gone out to buy her whatever she needed. I mean, look at all his brothers and sisters. Um, So some people are saying that that was sort of a publicity move to show that she would make a good mother because that's she's trying to get guardianship, permanent uh, custody of his children, and, of course, that would bring along with it his money. So even in death, Michael is being exploited, and it's just really sick. And and people, I'm sort of ranting about this. I am ranting about this, not sort of, because, um, yes, I am the one who made this complaint, but as I read to you, I was trying to get him help then. And um, it was very, uh, you know, I'm not saying that I knew back in two. 2003 that Michael was going to die in 2009, but I saw him on a downward spiral for sure with suicidal impulses as I just read to you from my complaint. And let me read this final paragraph from my complaint, which which is very poignant and, and sad and, and also uh, prescient um, in the sense of what we know now. I I wrote, Mr. Jackson seems sincere when he says that he loves his children and all children. He can identify with their pain because of his own childhood pain. He wants to save them as he wishes someone would have saved him. Peter Pan is a charming fairy tale character, but Michael Jackson needs a reality check. Now it's up to you to save the lost boys and girls who are trapped in Neverland. Please don't fail them again. And yes, they did this trial, and that was sort of turned into a fiasco because of Snedden not presenting a good case. But um, in any case, no one stepped in to um, save the children, but even uh, particularly we now know no one stepped in to save Michael, and everyone, particularly people closer to him than I was certainly, uh, saw this downward spiral and could have, in fact, stepped in to save him long before now. So it is really sad, and uh, how many more celebrities do we have to see go down this path where the whole world realizes that they are on an incredible downward spiral heading towards suicide or death of some sort, and yet no one, no one steps in to help them. Well, I hope that um, that I have, in fact, honored his memory by saying some of the things that a lot of people are not saying and bringing out what I believe to be the truth. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.